Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, Stephen Holder. I'm here with Zach Kiefer, and we're back for another episode of 1% Better. We missed you, uh, I guess, late last week for the holiday, you know, Christmas and all that. Didn't know that you guys wanted to be bogged down with our boring spiel, but uh, we're back to bore you again (laughs) with another episode. Although, this might be a little more interesting, Zach, this episode. Because, man, the Colts have uh, given us a lot to talk about. You know by now, obviously, the Colts lost a heartbreaker, 28-24 uh, to 24 in Pittsburgh on Sunday. They're now 10-5, and five, and on the outside looking in when it comes to the NFL playoff standings right now. If the playoffs started today, the Colts would be sitting at home with the rest of us, watching. Can't believe they're here, Zach. <laughs> I mean, like I can't believe it. Like I'm not I'm not saying they're some sort of championship team, but what in the world? I I don't know. I don't know. Just can you just put in the words just the in terms of predicament, where they are now versus where they were a couple weeks ago and just how unbelievable that is. For the listeners out there, I have a question. Would this game have been harder to swallow if they had just been beaten by three touchdowns? Like a lot of people thought was going to be the case a couple weeks ago. Such a good point. Or is it just worse because of the way it happened? I think it's probably the latter. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still piecing together what I saw yesterday, and I just am having trouble. I feel like that was a really uncharacteristic loss for the Colts, for this Colts team. Now, I know they've had a horror show in Pittsburgh over the years. I've, I've been there. I've written about 53 to 35 games and 45 to 7 games, right? Right, this and this was wasn't different. that, which this, is the crazy part. I just cannot believe how they laid down in the second half. The offense was responsible. The play calling was responsible. The defense was responsible. I didn't see that, and, and, and it just made it worse later Sunday night when the Titans went to Green Bay and lost because the Colts would have everything – in front of them. They would have to beat Jacksonville and the division would be theirs. They would be 12 and four. They would be hosting a playoff game. The narrative would be unbelievably different this morning, but instead we have to piece together the collapse that was yesterday. They were up 24 to seven with nine minutes to go in the third quarter and they let the Steelers score 21 straight. I mean, it's that simple. They laid down in their biggest half of the year. And, And I guess my question to you is the more you've had time to think about it and write about it, how did that happen? Oh my goodness! How much time do we have? Uh, right. <laughs> well, actually, I, I have I have a lot of thoughts. I know we both do. Um, but before I get into that, let me, let's do this real quick. Let's just recap in case you've been under a rock for the last twelve hours. Let's just recap where they are. So, because I know this gets complicated, and, and not everybody has been thinking about this at the level that I do because I do this for a living. So, the bottom line is, Colts are on the outside looking in right now. They need to beat Jacksonville next week, 
and Zach has been keeping up with the math, so stop me if I get this wrong. And they need one of the following things to also happen. They need a loss either by the Cleveland Browns against the Cincinnati Bengals. The no, Baltimore Cleveland Ravens. is playing Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, excuse me, excuse me. That's what I was – who's playing Cincinnati? Oh, that's so Baltimore. Cleveland, they need a loss from one of these four teams. Cleveland's right. playing Pittsburgh. Baltimore's playing Cincinnati. Tennessee's playing Houston. And then finally, Buffalo plays the, the Dolphins. They need the Dolphins to lose. Right. So right. if the Titans happen the Titans to lose awesome. and yeah. the Colts win, the Colts are division champs. So that's not out of the realm of possibility. Deshaun Watson is, is going to play, it sounds like. Um, a, a pretty wild scenario, right? You've got to win. Yeah. I think the Colts win on Sunday. Then you've got to hope one of four teams lose. So you you like your odds, but when you look at the games, it's not impossible to, to see all four teams winning. Depending on who rests starters and oh and sure sure, I actually so that's a good question here. Like, what do we think their odds are? <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I don't their odds great. are good because you got to have a have multiple opportunities. But yeah. it's also like the Colts made this really difficult, and they didn't need to. And that's what burns a lot of fans this morning is hmm. they had the control of their own destiny. They had a, a twenty-one. You know, it's a 17-point lead, and, and, and now they have to deal with all this. Now they have to leave it up to other teams. Um, Cleveland, I don't know if they have a receiving core. They play Pittsburgh at home. Right. We, we saw Pittsburgh yesterday. Uh, they looked great in the second half. They looked absolutely abysmal in the first half. Baltimore is going to beat Cincinnati. Miami goes to Buffalo. I don't know if Buffalo is playing their starters or not, but the one thing that we should point out between Pittsburgh and Buffalo fighting for those two and three seeds is you want the two seed, so you don't see Kansas City in round two. I would think That's there would I'd be say. some incentive for the Bills and the Pittsburgh Steelers to play their starters in Week 17 and win. Right. We'll see. Houston has a lot to play. Or uh, excuse me, Tennessee obviously has a lot to play for. Um, I don't know what we get from the Houston Texans. They're playing at home. It's their last game of the year, but I don't know. I don't know what their odds are to be honest. Yeah, stuff, stuff. So. I thought Bob Kravitz, our colleague, had a great stat in his story because the fact of the matter remains that they are 10 and 5, which is pretty damn good. Okay, let's just be clear. Like, there's nothing to cry about when you're 10 and 5, except it's 2020 and nothing makes sense. And there's seven so, teams that make the playoffs this year, which is crazy. I know. I know. So I couldn't believe this. I. I gotta, I gotta figure out where he got this information from because this is unbelievable. Oh, he stole this from Jim Nance on the broadcast. Okay, no, I Bob missed Kravis it. Bob didn't find this. I stat missed on his it. Own. I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say, damn, Bob, I didn't think you were that good with research. <laughs> the He's last not. seventy-three teams to start ten and four have made the playoffs. Seventy-three. That's probably literally everybody. <laughs> and then there have only been two eleven and five teams not make the playoffs. And obviously, the most recent one being the Patriots in 2008. During I mean, Tom if the Brady's Colts are in ACL. the NFC, they're they're Tampa Bay right now. Tampa Bay's ten and five, and they have a playoff spot locked up. They're like sitting it, their starters in, in week every 17. other year. <laughs> you're sitting your starters in week seventeen, and, and you're thinking about where you're going in week one of the playoffs. But here we are. Yeah, and and scoreboard watching. You you brought this up a little bit ago. They don't, you know, that's going to be their predicament in week seventeen. It is the worst, okay? Let me just tell you. It And everybody's kind of had some familiarity with this. Maybe less so for Colts fans because you went through that period of years where 
<laughs> you didn't have to worry about that on week 17. You're in the playoffs, right? It was just a matter of where are we going, where are we seated. But this has been a reality for a lot of teams, and and even really most recently uh, with the the Colts in the playoffs and the earlier 2010s, uh, they were winning the division uh, this last couple of times. So wasn't really a factor necessarily in terms of scoreboard watching. But scoreboard watching is the worst. I've dealt with it, you know, in 16, 17 seasons covering the NFL. I've dealt with it. And I remember one story in particular. 2010 was covering the Tampa Bay Bucks, And they went 10-6 and six with a bunch of guys you literally have never heard of. Raheem Morris, best coaching job I've ever seen. Okay? They go 10-6. and six. We're in New Orleans. They beat the Saints in Week 17. Unbelievable on the road, in the Superdome. And now it's like, what do we do? Because guess what? They got to wait for the 4 o'clock game. <laughs> so me and my colleagues go back to the hotel. We sit there. We wait because we don't know what to write. We don't know right. what's going on. We don't know if they're going to the playoffs. And, of course, they get knocked out. I didn't have anything at stake. And even for me, it felt gut-wrenching. I can't imagine what it felt like for players, for fans. It's the worst, okay? The absolute worst. It freaking sucks. Congratulations, Colts fans. That's you. The good news is, if there is good news in this, they play at 425 on Sunday, and they're going to know. The three early games, um, one of those games could fall their way, and they'll know by kickoff. If so, the Texans-Titans game is also 425. So if they don't get what they Mm -hmm. want from the early games, there's also that chance. But they won't have to wait until midnight, basically. We'll know by 7 o'clock if the Colts are in the playoffs or not. That helps. That helps. Um, But, man... Man, oh man. So let's try to make sense of this, getting back to Sunday. All right. I think we could go in a million different ways with this, but I would tell you something. I really feel like what I saw in that second half was just absolute subpar play. It, it wasn't even like it was this, it was that, it was that. It wasn't one thing. They sucked. And I know that's an oversimplification, but like, they didn't block, they didn't tackle, they didn't defend, they didn't cover, <laughs> they didn't rush the passer, Unbelievable. They, they couldn't throw the ball, they didn't really run the ball, so can't evaluate that. But, I, I mean, I don't know that they did anything well in the second half, other than that first possession. I don't remember them doing anything constructive in the second half in any aspect. And I don't know that I've seen a team fall apart that quickly uh, from to that extent such a big swing in so in such a short period of time the one thing that has stood out to me about this season is this team has been pretty consistent they've been pretty consistent week to week (laughs) they haven't had a lot of duds now they've had stretches where they played bad for sure but you know i thought this team was too consistent to 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 collapse like that in the second half like yeah you're gonna have a couple bad drives and you're gonna let the steelers back in it but the way they laid down like you said that was surprising to me and you can make the argument that you put up 24 points without your two starting tackles on offense. That's probably enough of an offensive game for them to win this game in Pittsburgh. The way the Steelers were atrocious on offense in the first half. They couldn't even get the ball past the first down line. Um, you could make the argument that was enough. Now, I'm not saying I liked the second half from the offense because I hated it. And I we'll get into the play calls. We'll get into Jonathan Taylor and all that in a second. But for me, the defense just completely collapsed. I mean, I just didn't see that coming. There was no pass rush. Where was Justin Houston? Um, Where was anything in the secondary? 
Now, there were some atrocious calls, like literally some of the worst I've seen in a long time. And those, I mean, those absolutely played a role in this. I think you can say that the Colts played poorly enough to lose, but also say that the, the calls were terrible. Um, but for me, I'm most confounded this morning by how the defense just absolutely turned the corner the wrong way in the second half and let the Steelers do whatever they want. This is on them in my eyes. Yeah, I think you're right. I, excuse me. I, I can't tell you that I expected very much from the offense going into this. In fact, we were texting over the weekend, and I'm pretty sure we both had the opinion that, you know what, if you get 21, you're probably playing with house money in a game like this. We thought this would look a lot like the Ravens game did, right, where the Colts, they it, it kind of became an ugly game, and it was just sort of a grinded out sort of performance offense didn't really move the ball much and and defense was going to have to hold on for dear life we thought that's what this was going to be of course that didn't happen in that game but that's the type of game it was uh it ended up being quite different (laughs) and they were moving the ball like gangbusters so who knows i mean i guess i know nothing but but the point is yeah i i kind of agree with you that the way this the way the offense played overall in terms of production in terms of points I, I mean, I think they did enough, you know, under the circumstances. I mean, you're missing I mean, two they're of your best down to offensive their fourth line. and fifth tackles. And yeah. there's a huge gap between two Pro Bowl caliber tackles and Jamarcus Webb and Chaz Green. Chaz Green cannot play, man. He can't play. Like, they keep putting him out there. He can't play. You got to help him every down or you got to tell him to start holding every down because he can't stop anybody. And, and they gave him 24 points with him on the field. It's amazing. It's a miracle. And he held Watt on the big shot. I think it was to T.Y. that was incomplete. Yeah. but um, Or maybe it was the touchdown to Pascal. But either way, I mean, that's that's miracle work, right? I mean, that's that's impressive stuff. If you're able to put up 21 points in the first half with those guys playing tackle, a large part of it, and I really like this game plan, they were just going to go with the bedrock of their offensive line. That's Kelly. That's Glowinski. That's Nelson. They're going to run up the middle. And you saw Jonathan Taylor show off what he's been doing lately. That kid has gotten so much better. He's a tough runner. He's seeing the holes better. He's showing off a lot of speed that he wasn't able to show off early in the year. And that's a huge reason why they were able to put up so many points in the first half and really have the Steelers on their heels. We didn't see it in the second half, and that's confounding. All right, so this is a a big subject to dive into today because you you heard it, I heard it, and we certainly – had a lot of conversation about this with Frank Reich after the game. So if I recall correctly, after the first possession of the second half, so the third quarter, first possession, they drove down, got the field goal. After that possession, if my if my recollection is correct, I think Jonathan Taylor had two more carries the rest of the game. Correct. So, he carried he it twice at that over point, the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Right. He had, I think, at that point, 73 yards or something like that. Okay. So a couple of things. There are multiple – There, okay, let's say it this way. Frank Reich is saying one thing, and then the fans are saying another thing. Both things are true, okay? Both things are true. Fans are saying, why didn't you run the ball more? You should have run the ball more. Frank Reich is saying, well, we wanted to run the ball, but the Steelers knew we wanted to do that and wouldn't let us. So both things are true, okay? Correct. They're both true. So no one's really freaking wrong, and that's why I, I get a little bit like frustrated trying to explain this because – it's not really a right or wrong thing. It's just a couple of things. Number one, you're playing the freaking Steelers. Those guys are freaking good. I don't care what they did the last three weeks. Those guys are good. And they do 
have some say in this, okay? So Frank Reich's correct. And Philip Rivers, by the way, is the one who ultimately is at the controls. And Philip Rivers is right, too. He's correct. saying, look, guys, I'm looking at eight-man front, and they're breathing fire down my neck. You got to throw the ball. And he's yeah, right. That's, that's the question. It's not why didn't they run it more. It's it's why couldn't they beat the Steelers with their quick passing? That's Rivers my is point. So good at that. That's and, and my they point. Didn't, and they couldn't. And there's a couple of situations that needed to be explained because this is context that's important here. One is they get the ball on their own two yard line to start their second drive of the second half. Right? Yeah. They run it that for a, a loss of one. They're facing second and eleven. They throw twice, and they go nowhere and they punt. They're behind in the field position game. Right? On their second drive, Taylor whiffs on that first block. That's a loss of eight. That's a sack. Now they're playing second and 18. They were behind the sticks in two critical situations on drives that you would expect them to try and establish the run game. So on top of the fact that the Steelers changed up their defense at halftime and start bringing a lot of guys into the box, they knew the Colts wanted to run it. They were not going to let them. Now that's why you pay Phillip Rivers $25 million, right? To figure that out and to beat them with the short passes, which I thought he would. And he did and figure it out. They just didn't they execute. Right. Yeah. It's 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 a lot of things. But to say that Frank Reich said, ah, we're just going to get away from the run is is not accurate. I think you're right. Both things can be true. And it's important to explain that. And the other thing that that people have to understand is if you if you get yourself out of those down a distance situations. Oh, trust me, they were going to run the ball. OK, <laughs> if you get the first down, you're running the ball at that point. I think you're just trying to some point get back on schedule and when you get on schedule then you can run the ball now we could argue why take the shot maybe on that first down play but i i think part of it was this is just my uh, my sort of sense i don't know that anyone said this but here's the thing so steelers get that that one play drive boom over the top touchdown to johnson i believe mm-hmm. and now the pressure starts to ratchet up a little bit. Okay, you still got Ben Roethlisberger over there, and you've got a pretty good group of wide receivers, by the way, for Pittsburgh. And you know those guys are dangerous. So I think if you're Frank Reich, you're thinking, shit, we need points. Okay, so did that get the best of him? I don't know. But he's thinking, all right, we got to respond. And I actually agree. I think they did need to respond. They needed points in the worst way at that moment because you could feel the game teetering. I know there was a 10-point deficit at that point and I still thought they were going to win but I don't know I I wasn't feeling comfortable about their situation and I, I think agree. Frank Reich also felt that way so he's yeah. thinking we need points and I think this gets to him sometimes I think mm-hmm. Frank Reich objectively is, is is a tremendous play caller and I, I will say that this morning after one of his rough halves but he admitted after the game that play calling wasn't good they didn't find a way to beat the pressure the Steelers were bringing and that's his job. And I thought the tackle situation hurt them the longer the game went on, right? They yeah. they were able to get some really good plays early in the game. And then second half, when they needed a little bit of time, when they needed three seconds to do a double move, when they needed a little bit of time to get a ball out of their own end zone, they couldn't do anything. And I think the tackle situation, I mean, you're talking fourth and fifth string tackles. Yeah. The guys that be on, should be on your practice squad are trying to protect Phillip Rivers in Pittsburgh in December. They That's going to hurt you. Squad. That's just the reality. <laughs> and right. Jonathan Taylor, he whiffed on that block. And Romo had a great explanation of it. He should have gone left. He went right. That's an eight-yard loss. And the Colts were not positioned to come to overcome a second and 18 without Anthony Costanzo on the left and Braden Smith on the right. So all that factors in. But I'm telling you, man, coming out of halftime, I'm thinking Frank Reich is going to run the ball so much 
you're going to get tired of watching Jonathan Taylor in the second half. Yeah, I was expecting him to get over 100 because the Steelers did not have an answer for him in the first. That was what was so stunning. But there's a lot of context that goes into it. And maybe the most disappointing thing is that Rivers and Reich and the offense could not figure out how to beat them with a short passing game that seemingly has worked for most of the year. I mean, Rivers against the Blitz, I'll take that nine times out of ten. I mean, that guy has been really good in those situations this year. For whatever reason, the momentum shifted. And like Rivers said, it felt like we were trying to hold on instead of being the aggressor. And I think Colts fans knew this game turned, and it never went back to their side. Hmm. Yeah, there there was also the the compounded problem that Mark Lewinsky didn't have a good game. And there were a couple of instances where the tackles didn't maybe hold up that great. And that's okay, though, if Rivers can step up. There were a couple of instances where, for example, Chaz Green – TJ Watts coming because that's what he does, but he kind of keeps him outside a little bit and doesn't let him have a direct line to Rivers. So I don't worry about that too much if Rivers can step up in the pocket. But at the same time, here's Glowinski getting beat from the inside. Boom, pressure right in the A gap and play over. And so that's where you end up with the sack or at least pressure and then you get a bad ball. And and so those are the kinds of things that happen. And I think I think you made a good point that over the course of 60 minutes, what they did in the first half turned out to be the anomaly. And what I mean by that is the the protection in spite of the loss of the two offensive tackles. Overcoming that was the anomaly <laughs> against the Steelers' front in retrospect. And I don't know if Frank Wright got carried away and figured, okay, well, you know, we got this. And I mean, I was thinking it too, right? But I'm not the coach. <laughs> but in reality, I think the chickens came home to roost in the second half and you realized, okay, they're not playing with very good talent out here at the edge. <laughs> and it became more obvious. There's no question about it. And I think over the course of 60 minutes, things tend to even out. And I think that's what we saw there for sure. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, all right, tell, tell me tell me if you agree with this. So, I think there have been, regardless of what happens with the playoffs, I think a couple things have been revealed here. Number one, they have to reevaluate the secondary. I'm not saying, like, cut everybody. I'm not, I'm not saying go over the top. But they got to reevaluate the secondary in the, in the offseason and figure out how they get better. That's number one. Number two, your edge rush. It's not there. You got to do there. something. You got to do there. something. You got Ben Roethlisberger who can't move, and they're throwing the ball forty yards down the field, and you can't come within a mile of him. Got to do something about that. You know, I, I think I'm not saying that that you're going to sack your way into beating Ben Roethlisberger because that's not that doesn't happen. It's not what people do against the Steelers, but you can't let them have a picnic in the pocket either. I mean, yeah, and, and you can't put that kind of pressure on your secondary exactly. down after down, drive after drive, and that's what they're doing. And and guys like Rock, I mean, Rock struggled yesterday, and TJ Carey and Tavon Wilson, Xavier Rhodes had a couple flags. Um, it touched the secondary. Yeah, the secondary cost them in December last year in a big way, and that's why they really made the bold moves that they did in the offseason. They cut Pierre Desir, they brought in Xavier Rhodes. And they brought in TJ Carey and they brought in Tavon Wilson and it cost them again yesterday. And, and it all works together. And I didn't think the pass rush was the glaring issue that it has been in years past. 
because we've seen flashes of dominant days from that group, from Buckner and Houston and Autry. But we got nothing yesterday, nothing from those guys yesterday. And that put so much more pressure on the back end. And I thought really, I thought it was, oh, it was it was Deshaun Watson the last week, right? It was the guy that you, you just can't bring down. It was just Watson's talent that was a huge reason why the pass rush wasn't getting home. Yesterday, the Steelers, I mean, their offensive line, they're one of the best in football, and they protect Ben Roethlisberger at an incredible rate. And the Colts couldn't get to Roethlisberger yesterday, and that killed them. And pass rush and secondary have to be at the top of your list and things you want to improve with this defense whenever this offseason starts. Yeah, I, I really think that – you. I'm glad you made the connection to last season and how we learned some things uh, about the defense in that sort of home stretch of the season because I think yesterday gave me shades of that. I mean, I'm not saying I felt like I felt that night at the Superdome <laughs> watching Drew no. Brees go into history, but there were a couple moments where I was like, they literally can't stop him. You know, there were a couple moments where I had a little bit of a flashback to that, not at the same level, but in spots. And I, I think that's a really bad place to be. Now, a couple things happened. Number one, uh, I really think Kari Willis getting injured really was an overlooked factor yes. here. Yes. Tavon Wilson did not get it done. The guy was terrible. I thought on both deep ball touchdowns, he was a factor. Uh, he didn't look. He let them get behind him, right? And they're yes. A, a deep cover too, right? That's the single thing you need to do is keep the guys in front of you, correct? Right. Well, you had first you had the Rocky Sin touchdown that he gave up. Now that was man coverage, and I'll have to see the the coach's tape to really know uh, the details of what happened. But I, I will tell you one thing: he sure as hell wasn't there to give him any help. <laughs> and you're dealing with a guy who can run. Okay, Deontay Johnson. Yeah. I gotta give that kid credit. He can run. Okay. He, he ran right by Rocky Sin and he didn't have a chance, okay? And then the other thing I would say is on the other touchdown, I uh, believe that was – was that also Johnson? I can't remember. Too many touchdowns. Uh, it's so, all a blur. What's that? It's all a blur. Yeah, it, it was. And then on that one, he bites on the underneath route, okay? Who cares, man? Like, you're trying not to lose the game. You can't worry about the underneath route. You got a guy running right past you, and there's Julian Blackman coming from the other side of the freaking field desperately trying to make a play, and he can't get there in time, and boom, it's a touchdown. That's on Tavon Wilson as far as I could tell. I'll eat my words if I'm wrong when I watch the film or talk to Matt Eberflus, but it sure looked like it. Uh, you know, I don't know, man. We've seen we've seen Matt Eberflus try to mix things up in recent weeks, and he did mix it up yesterday. I thought a lot of yeah, man coverage. Yeah, they played a lot more man, mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And I'll watch the tape as well. But it seemed like they played a lot they more did. man, and that gave the Steelers a lot of trouble in the first half. But the one thing he didn't do was really blitz at all. And and that might be the smart thing to do against Roethlisberger, I guess. I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of like blitz and rivers, right? It's like, okay, yeah, you think I haven't seen that before? So right. I get that. But when your pass rush is just struggling and can't make anything happen, I wonder if maybe you got to do something to disrupt the quarterback's rhythm, especially when they're starting to hit you over the top. So I mean, if you're going to play man, you're taking your chances anyway on some level, and your safeties ain't making any freaking plays. Well, shoot, go after the quarterback. I, I don't know. That's just my Monday morning thought. But That's a good point about Kyle I don't know. Willis. That dude has played really well this season in a lot of different ways. And, and him going out with that concussion really changed things because the Steelers just went to town as soon as he was out.
Yeah. And that's the one injury on this defense that seems to stand out to me because everyone else was pretty healthy. And then when Willis goes down, the it just they just poured it on, and the Colts didn't have an answer. Okay, so I want to just address one thing. And I almost never talk about this, but you've already brought it up, and I think it's worth digging into a little bit more. Officiating. I almost never talk about it on this podcast, or really at all, because who gives a shit, right? Like, I don't. I don't think that's why you lose. I mean, if they're obviously if it's a game changing call and a late yeah. game situation, but I, I kind of feel like a homer when I start talking about officiating. But this is different. I really think it's worth talking about here. Uh, so let me just start by saying this: a couple things. Number one, I, I did not think the pass interference was equitable in the game. No, I do not believe that. And then, secondly, I hate the Mark Lewinsky call. I hate it too. I hate it. The guy's already going to the ground and it's not, it's actually not even really affecting the play. It's a ticky, ticky, ticky tack call. I mean, I'm not saying you'll never see that call, but I just think you got to swallow the flag there. And then, uh, like I said, with the pass interference and Darius Leonard, God bless him. I think maybe getting a, a memo yeah. from Troy Vincent this week. I don't but think he cares to be honest. No, he, he, he knew what he was saying. He yeah. said, I don't care. He knew, and that was his way of saying, find me. I don't give a damn. But there's, he's right about a couple things there. Number one, the the play with Kenny Moore, I thought it was incidental. And the coach argued that the ball was tipped anyway. And then he said, if you're going to give them that call, you got to give T.Y. the call later in the game. I went back and watched that last night. And I got to tell you, on that deep ball to T.Y. in the final minute, I'm not shocked they didn't call the flag. But I don't know, man. I thought he might have deserved the flag on that. He got bumped pretty good, and and I'm not. I'm saying if he doesn't get bumped, there's a chance he lays out and tries to catch that thing. I, I don't know that it, that he catches it, but he didn't have a chance because he got bumped. So I don't know. Am I overreacting? What do you think? No, I'm with you 100. And 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 I hesitate to say this as well because you don't want to sound like you're making excuses, and we're not. I think we can say both things can be true. The Colts lost yesterday because they yeah. played like crap in the second half. Everyone on here is going to agree with that. They deserve to lose. They did not make the plays in the second half. That being said, objectively, we're not fans. Objectively, those were terrible calls. They were terrible. And and like Darius said, if you're going to call it like that, if you're going to call those ticky-tacky calls, then you got to call it both ways. And I don't hate the TY call as much as I hate the Kenny Moore P.I. I hate mm-hmm. that call. I hate ticky-tacky soft P.I. calls. It is so hard to play defense in the NFL. And I don't know that from firsthand experience. But just <laughs> I hear watch it. these guys. Just watch what they're doing. And first of all, Rivers was right. That ball was tipped. That's its nettle contact. When that ball is tipped, any contact is fine. That's a terrible call. That's just flat-out terrible. And why they didn't look at it and why Frank didn't review it is something I don't have an answer for right now. That's terrible. Don't right. call what, that Because that is December. that reviewable? I think it might be, actually, now that you mention it. Yeah. The, the it ability is, to review whether the ball was tipped. Yeah. Yes. And, and, good and point. Like, don't call that in December in a game with so much on the line where these ticky-tacky things can have a huge role in deciding the outcome. And I'm with you on the Glowinski one, man. Like, the spirit of the rule is completely ignored with that call. The spirit right. of the rule is to not prevent someone getting blocked in the back to spring a, a runner, right? That had no impact on the play. Now, Glowinski's hand shouldn't have been on him, but he barely touched him. I mean, come on, this is football. 
That's such a weak call. And and that's a 68-yard gain for Naheem Hines, who has to lead the league in negated yards this year. The poor guy. And secondly, <laughs> it's at least three points for the Colts, maybe seven. And can you imagine if this game was 28-7 to seven at half? It would have been different in the second half, I imagine, a little bit. Um, those were terrible calls. Both things can be true. The Colts crumbled in the second half, but also some of the worst officiating I've seen in a long time. That, I think that's fair to say. And if any Pittsburgh Steelers fans disagree, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. But man, the, that I, man, those PI calls and the tape and then the, the TJ Carey one, the ball was yeah. very, very, very much uncatchable in my mind. So, um, Colts didn't know that didn't themselves no favors yesterday, but the refs didn't didn't help them out at all either. And they don't need help, but they need to call a fair game. And I don't think the Colts got a fair shake yesterday. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, Frank Reich after the game, he told us he said, "Look, we knew what crew this was, the officiating crew." And he said they have a reputation. We knew from the scouting report on them. And yes, there is a scouting report on the officials every week uh, with tendencies and and things that they should be aware of. And they knew it was coming, and sure enough, it came. But it only came one way, and I think that's kind of what the Colts are arguing about. And they're, they're bad calls in and of themselves, but also they're arguing the, the calls didn't go both ways. As, as I said, not equitable in my estimation. Uh, but and I think that's part of the problem with officiating is just the, the, the inconsistency from crew to crew. You yeah. know, from one crew to another on what is and isn't a PI what is and isn't holding what you know all of those things it's got to be really frustrating to coach and play in dealing with those realities because you know you play one particular way you know you shouldn't have to adjust your playing you know dependent on who's officiating your game I mean that's crazy but that's kind of what they're saying they have yeah, to do it, there it's got to be so tough to be a DB because it's like oh well I can't grab with this crew but I can grab with this crew and right you know, I can reach and I can I can play up and I can play physical here, but I can't this week. And I mean, Kenny Moore is a guy who's five nine, one hundred ninety pounds, and has to play physical to do his job well. And with there's a little bit of contact that comes with that. It, it just must be so difficult to deal with the flags that get flown when you're just playing the physical way that you have to play to do your job. And I just, man. Head scratching calls. It's it's a little bit like the Raiders Dolphins game on 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 um, Saturday night. You know that that long pi. I mean that was ticky tacky. I just hate ticky tacky yeah. calls. I don't care who they're on. Yeah, and one one other thing on the Kenny Moore play. Just the just a final thought. I didn't want to get off my chest. You know, it'd be one thing if he. I think Kenny falls down. It'd be one thing if he falls down and then reaches his arm out to trip the guy. That's not what happened at all. And this has nothing to do with the ball being tipped. That is a separate matter. But let's just talk about Kenny and what he did, which was basically nothing. He fell down yeah. and basically falls on the back of the receiver's heel and the receiver falls down. So maybe it looked like he tripped him. He did not trip him. There's no question, Not certainly not intentionally. I thought you could have called that incidental contact. I don't know how you deal with that specific situation. If you fall down and cause the receiver to fall down, is that interference? I guess it depends on the official. But... Uh, I, you talked about the spirit of rules and those kinds of things. Certainly, in terms of intent and what his intent was there, he did not intend to trip the receiver. That was very, very clear. So, anyway, they got some bad breaks. But, again, as you said, <laughs> 24 to 7. Yeah. 24 yeah. to 7, man. Uh, I tell you, 
I, you know, here's here's my question, and there'll be plenty of time for this if it comes to it. But they end up eleven and five and miss the playoffs. I don't even know where we begin in terms of assessing this season. I can't sit here and tell you there's some kind of shit team when they're eleven and five, right? I mean, like no. <laughs> you can't say that. But at the same time, you know, the natives are going to be restless, right? People want to get back in the playoffs. So what do you do? I, I don't know. That's going to complicate take care things. Of business in the second half with a 17 point lead. I mean, yeah. that's what's going to haunt them. This is what I wrote this morning is you, you have to take care of business when you have the opportunity because this is out of their hands now. And that's a dangerous game to play in this league. And, and 11 of five is a good record. And I still think they're a pretty good team, but man, it, that would be three at four years with Chris Ballard as general manager. That would be two of three years with Frank Reich as head coach. That would be every year without Andrew Luck as your quarterback. Hmm. You're on the outside looking in. Um, there's a lot on the line Sunday, and a lot of it is not going to be decided at Lucas Oil Stadium. And that is what the Colts are going to have to live with this week. And and they're going to be rooting like heck for the Buffalo Bills and for the Cincinnati Bengals and for the Houston Texans and for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So before we go... I'm glad you brought that up. Which of those four games do you think is their best shot? Buffalo, yeah, right? Me too. It's got to be Buffalo at home yeah. against the Dolphins. I don't think the Dolphins are very good. No, I, I don't think so either. The Raiders. I, I mean, that was the Raiders. Like, God, the Raiders are a joke. Like, the Raiders defense, suck. Like, God, <laughs> like the Raiders suck. They Look, shouldn't even be allowed to play defense if they're that bad. It's um, one thing to go to Pittsburgh and fall apart against Ben Roethlisberger and that group of receivers. Okay. And don't get me wrong. Like <laughs> they don't get a, they don't get a gold star for effort. Okay. The Colts. Okay. That was, a, that was a terrible performance, but okay, fine. Whatever. That guy's going to be in the hall of fame one day. Those receivers are really good and you're playing a great defense. Okay. Fine. The Raiders who can't even tackle. <laughs> Come on, man. They were so bad Saturday night. So yeah, I mean, I would assume the Bills are going to play their starters because they have they have a lot on the line in terms of playoff positioning, and that matters. And I don't think the Bills want to play the Chiefs in the second round if they can wait till the championship round. I think the Bills are the second best team in the AFC. Yeah. So I would think the Bills play their guys, and and that's going to be tough for Miami. I don't think Miami's that good. I don't think they're that good on offense. I know what Fitzpatrick did in crunch time on Saturday night. I don't think Tua is that good yet. I mean, he he did not look good Saturday night. They keep pulling in Fitzpatrick. At what point does that run out, that magic? Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But I think Buffalo is the Colts' best chance. Um, I think Houston probably loses to Tennessee. Tennessee has a lot on the line. you got to think yeah. they win. Although Houston took them to overtime earlier this year. and I mean, we don't, you don't have Watson to tell us about right. Houston. Right. So – it's not implausible. I definitely think Baltimore wins. And, and, and Pittsburgh and Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland has so much to play for, but I feel like Pittsburgh has a little bit to play for as well. They're in the playoffs. They're division champs, but they do want to fight for that two seed. So mm-hmm. um, it's not implausible to think that a couple of these teams win, but until it happens, you just don't know. Because at this point, it seems like everything that could happen for the Colts is not happening. Um, they did get some help last night in <laughs> Green Bay, but I, it's man, it's going to be an eventful, stressful Sunday for Indianapolis Colts fans. And that doesn't even talk about the game against the Jaguars, of which 
have one win this year because the Colts went down there in week one and lost. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, the, the, only, excuse me, the only thing I would add is that I agree with you on Buffalo. I think that's where they should, you know, sort of put their hopes. And I'll tell you, watching that Green Bay game last night, you can see why Buffalo should really value home field. Okay. You know, very similar yeah. climate and, and sort of, you know, weather situation. I'll tell you, man, this time of year, um, I mean, we know all about that, right? <laughs> Having been in that game in Buffalo uh, three years ago. So I'll tell you what, I think Buffalo's got a lot on the line in terms of playing at home. They would really benefit from that additional home game if they can get one in uh, the divisional round in week two of the playoffs. So yeah, if I'm Buffalo, I want that home field, man. I don't want to, I don't want to leave Orchard Park. I want you to come to Orchard Park and you have to deal with the elements. You know, it's think a about a team like that, like Tennessee. Yeah. It could be it could be Tennessee, for example, right? Going back Derrick Henry, North. yeah, just running gun. No, the, the Packers looked completely at ease last night in the snow, and the Titans did not. And yeah. I don't know, maybe maybe in a week we'll be talking about the Colts having a home playoff game. Because that's still a possibility <laughs> as division champs, right? So who knows what's gonna happen? But so there are your options, folks. You got it all. You got it all figured out. They could be home watching the playoffs with you, or they could be division champs. So other of, than that, nothing going on. Of course, the Colts make this interesting. Like they uh, do not know how to do boring. The Colts over the last four years, they do not know how to do boring. Even when they make the playoffs, like they did in eighteen, they had to go down to the wire mm-hmm. in the final game and win to get in. So um, they never make it easy. And I'm sure that adds a little bit of gray hair on the on the heads of the fans out there, but it's going to be a interesting Sunday. I know that, no question about it. So anyway, we'll see. Uh, hang on to your hats. Happy New Year. <laughs> uh, you know, take your blood pressure medication. That's all I can tell you. So listen, we'll take a break later this week because it's New Year's, and you know, maybe we'll be hungover if we're lucky. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but we'll be back. You know, we got plenty to talk about uh, coming off next weekend. So you haven't heard the last of us. And obviously we will be here, you know, win or lose throughout the offseason. So that's the story from here. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. Uh Zach, I know you got an interesting story coming up this week that I think people will want to take a look at. And we've got some things on tap as well. So, look, I mean, I, I can't speak for the Colts, but I can only speak for us. Um, you know, we'll keep trying to bring heat when we can. And uh, the coverage won't fall off even when the team does. So I hope hope you agree. So that's the story from here. As I said, uh, Stephen Holder with Zach Kiever. Thanks for listening to 1% Back.